You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Hey y'all, Matt here. I've got something interesting for you this week. The Halloween season is almost upon us. I'm not planning anything particularly spooky this year, but I've got an episode here from a show called Southern Gothic. The show is a collection of spooky folklore, haunted houses, cursed plantations, all of it from the American South. I'm from the South myself, and I always loved the campfire stories you would hear from the old-timers, right? The host, Brandon, does a spectacular job presenting these stories. Most of the research is done by his sister, Brianne, and they're just fantastic. They're kicking off the Halloween season with an episode about a haunted cemetery in, where else, Charleston, South Carolina, somewhere we've been visiting quite a bit lately. But today we've got an episode about... Well, recently we've been spending a good deal of time with the Southeast Woodland Tribes. It's a haunting, tragic, and terrifying story. I hope you enjoy The Singing River from Southern Gothic. The Pascagoula River stretches 80 miles throughout southeastern Mississippi. Formed from the confluence of the Leaf and Chickasawai rivers, the wide and slow-moving waterway winds southward and then empties into the Mississippi Sound of the Gulf of Mexico. Notably, the Pascagoula River Basin is the last of its size in the mainland United States to flow naturally, unaltered by the human impact of dams or levees. The river was named in honor of a native tribe who once lived along its banks. Their name was likely derived from the Choctaw, meaning, quote, bread people. Yet today, many know this Mississippi waterway by another name, the Singing River. Legend says that the final eight miles of the Pascagoula River are home to a mysterious occurrence, an uncanny 
musical sound that purportedly emanates from the river's waters. Some claim the sound is the voices of the Pascagoula people themselves, who mysteriously disappeared in the early 19th century. But others believe this mystery has been around for much longer, purportedly the result of a mass suicide committed by a native tribe who were faced with a difficult decision. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. It is said that on warm summer and autumn nights, a mysterious musical sound can be heard resonating from beneath the dark waters of the Pascagoula River. Those lucky enough to hear it describe it as a musical, melodic humming, similar to that of a swarm of bees in flight. They say it is distant at first, but the sound grows louder and louder the longer they listen until eventually it fades away beneath the slow, free-flowing waters. The source of this unique sound is unknown, but numerous legends have been told to attempt to explain the mystery. The most well-known and modern version of these tales claims that the sound is the echoes of the Pascagoula people themselves, a small, peaceful tribe who once made the banks of the river their home. Unfortunately, conflict arose between the Pascagoula and nearby Biloxi tribe, who compared to their neighbors were superior in both size of population and the skill of their warriors. It is said that a young woman named Enola had been betrothed to a Biloxi chieftain, but her heart was elsewhere. Enola had fallen in love with Altama, a young chieftain of the Pascagoula. So the young girl fled her home to join her beloved, but in turn, her people became enraged. Either in vengeance or as a way to regain their honor, the Biloxi declared war. This gave the Pascagoula only two options. They could either abandon the young couple or they could embrace and stand behind them. Honorably, they chose to support the young lovers, yet they still knew that they stood no chance of survival in a war against the Biloxi. And the consequences of such a fight would mean either death or enslavement. As a result, the tribe made a difficult decision. 
one that allowed them to determine the fate of their own people. So they gathered together in joined hands and began to chant a song of death. Then, with the women and children leading the way, the Pascagoula people walked into the river until every last voice was silenced by the dark waters. It is this song that many believe still emanates from the Pascagoula River. However, this romantic and tragic Romeo and Juliet-esque tale of lovers is clearly one of Euro-American origin, based less in fact and more likely a derivation of a tale told not about the Pascagoula, but rather by them, who according to historical documents claimed to hear the river sing long before any settlers arrived. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. If you want nightmares, you are in the right place. I couldn't sleep last night after listening. This podcast is genuinely scary. That's what people are saying about Frightful. And if you'd like a few nightmares of your own, then how about you step this way? Hi, I'm Peter Laws, and I'm an author, journalist, and the host of Frightful, the podcast that is giving folks the serious creeps. From spine-tingling tales of the paranormal and shocking true crime to disturbing cults, possessions, and the forgotten horrors of history, Frightful is the podcast that pulls you into the darkness with immersive music, sound effects, and storytelling that is designed with one thing in mind, to get under your skin. With new episodes every other Sunday, you'll have plenty to keep that heart rate high. The good news is it's available free wherever you get your podcasts. The bad news is that after listening to this show, you might just have to spend a few more cents on electricity. After all, you're going to be sleeping with the lights on. So search Frightful in your podcast apps and I will see you there in the dark. Sir de Saval was the first known European to document the Pascagoula people. In 1699, French explorer Pierre Le Moyne d'Iberville traveled south down the Mississippi River to explore the Gulf Coast. De Saval joined him, keeping a journal of the expedition that has become one of the earliest written records 
the region. According to this document, three separate villages all sat near the river, the Biloxi, the Pascagoula, and the Moktobi. He estimated that the total population of these communities, which he failed to understand were not all part of a larger whole, included 100 families with about 20 cabins between them. The explorer wrote that he specifically met with the chief of the Pascagoulas, whose people embraced them, noting their peaceful nature and the fact that they would likely maintain a friendly trading relationship with the French as they established forts and settlements in the area. An area that would soon become the colony of Louisiana. The next notable meeting of the Pascagoula people with men of European descent was in 1727. Historian Charles Gaillard chronicled the account in his 1860 work, A History of Louisiana. In it, he tells of a meeting between the governor of the Louisiana colony, Etienne Perrier, and the Pascagoula people. Gaillard writes that while accompanied by some of the tribe's men, Perrier himself was taken to the river to hear it sing. He wrote, While among the Pascagoulas, or bread eaters, he was invited to go to the mouth of the river of that name to listen to the mysterious music which floats on the waters, particularly on a calm, moonlit night, and which to this day excites the wonder of visitors. It seems to issue from caverns or grottos in the bed of the river, and sometimes ascends from the water under the very keel of the boat which contains the inquisitive traveler, whose ear it strikes as the distant concert of a thousand harps. The downfall of Gaillard's account is that it was written almost a century and a half after the event. And since his work did not identify his sources, it is unclear where and how he learned of the singing river. Yet it is also from this book that a different story regarding the origin of the river's song emerges. This version of the story claims that the Pascagoula told the Louisiana governor that there had once been another tribe that lived in the area before they arrived. These people, whose name was not given, worshipped a mermaid that lived in the river. So each and every night, the villagers gathered there to sing and chant in her praise. Then one day, a strange white man arrived at the village. The man brought with him a book and a cross with the intention of converting the tribe to his religion. The attention that the tribe paid to the man soon angered their deity. So on one warm evening, when the moon was high and full, and all of nature was sleeping and silent, there came a sudden rushing on the surface of the river, as though the air had been disturbed by a multitude of invisible wings. 
This wind brought forth a column of water rising from the river, and atop the column was the tribe's mermaid. She then began to sing a haunting song to call her followers to her. Come to me, children of the sea. Neither bell, book, nor cross shall win you from your queen. Entranced by the song, one after another, the devoted people walked into the river. According to Gayer, the Pascagoulas and other tribes in the area, quote, have always thought it was their musical brethren who made the sounds of the singing river. The ghosts, they said, lived on in the palace of the mermaid beneath the waves. One of the reasons this variation of the legend is likely to not only be older than the more modern telling of mass suicide, but also of native origin, is the way the tale depicts the influence of a, quote, white man with a tone that seems cautionary. While no known written records predating 1699 exist of interaction with native tribes of this particular area, Spanish conquistador Hernando de Soto may have in fact come into contact with some of them over a century earlier while exploring the Gulf Coast. The involvement of European people brought much conflict to this part of the world, giving reason for the birth of these cautionary tales. But the most destructive force to the population was European-born disease that missionaries likely brought with them. In 1699, de Savol noted the diminished size of the local tribes, writing that an entire village in the area had been abandoned for this exact reason. As a result, one can assume that the Pascagoula had either come into contact with the negative effects of the Spanish explorers or another tribe who had. In the 1890s, Charles M. Skinner offered yet another variation on the legend of the Singing River in his work, Myths and Legends of Our Own Land, Volume 5. Under the heading, quote, The Last Stand of the Biloxi, Skinner writes that the native tribe involved in this tale is not the Pascagoula, but rather the Biloxi. But remarkably, the tale he tells is similar to the other versions of the legend, in some ways utilizing elements from both, possibly even evolving the original tale of the mermaid into the more modern one himself. One of the reasons these variations are so illuminating is the fact that the Pascagoula people did, in fact, mysteriously disappear. American John Sibley, who served as Indian agent for the New Orleans Territory between 1805 and 1815, mentioned the tribe in his diaries, which documented many, if not all of the tribes, of early American Louisiana. 
of the Pascagoula, he reported that they spoke their own language that differed from that of surrounding tribes, although they also spoke the Mobilian language, a common trading language used among the indigenous people of the Gulf Coast. As a result, what the Pascagoula's language actually was is still unknown, and today, all that is known about the Pascagoula is what was written down by others. In fact, the name itself is likely not even what they refer to themselves as, a name that has most likely been lost with their language. What we do know, though, is that following the French's first contact in 1699, the Pascagoula had a friendly trading relationship with them. But then, in 1764, after the Spanish took control of Louisiana, they, along with the Biloxi and several other tribes, left their tribal lands. In 1784, the Pascagoula were found to have resettled further north near the village of Tunica. Over the following decades, they continued to move and resettle before disappearing entirely, likely absorbed into other tribes of Biloxi or Choctaw people. The last confirmed documentation of the Pascagoula is dated 1805. Over the years, numerous natural explanations have been made to account for the source of the Singing River. One theory claims the grating of sand on the slate floor causes the mystical sound. Others, that it is from natural gas escaping from beneath that sand, or even a current rushing past a hidden cave. Yet no theory has proven correct. In 1890, Charles E. Chidsey, a resident who lived at the mouth of the Pascagoula from the late 19th to the early 20th centuries, spent much of his spare time trying to determine the origin of the river's song. In an 1890 issue, a popular science monthly, he wrote what he heard when the river sang. An old fisherman called me from the house where I then was to come down to the riverbank and hear the spirits singing under the water. If what I heard cannot be properly called music, it was certainly mysterious. From out of the waters of the river, apparently some 40 feet from its shelving bank, rose a roaring, murmuring sound, which gradually increased in strength and volume until it had reached its height when it slowly descended. When describing exactly the tone and sound of the river, he described it musically as a long, sustained F. Today, visitors continue to travel to the Pascagoula River to explore the infamous sounds that come from its waters. But the mystery of its cause remains as the legends continue to be told, reminding those who visit 
that this land was long ago inhabited by a unique people whose way of life has been lost to time in the wake of American expansion. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to receive even more content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks.